If you have a copy of the Scriptures with you, please turn to the book of Genesis and to chapter 48. The book of Genesis and the chapter 48. book of Genesis and the chapter 48, the context is that Jacob and his sons are now in Egypt. They have been rescued in the time of famine by Joseph, who has provided for them all that was needed. Not merely have they been provided with what was needed, but they have been blessed abundantly, and they have been now in Egypt for a number of years, indeed 17 years. Jacob, being very elderly, we read at the end of chapter 47, verse 29, that the time is drawn nigh that Israel must die. What you and I have in Genesis 48 is the second bedside scene where Jacob indeed is on his deathbed. And in chapter 49, there will be the third bedside scene. We'll commence reading at verse 1 of Genesis 48. I mean, the Lord bless his word to us. And it came to pass after these things that One told Joseph, Behold, thy father is sick. And he took with him his two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim. And one told Jacob and said, Behold, thy son Joseph cometh unto thee. And Israel strengthened himself and sat upon the bed. And Jacob said unto Joseph, God Almighty appeared unto me at Luz in the land of Canaan and blessed me. And said unto me, Behold, I will make thee fruitful and multiply thee and I will make of thee a multitude of people and will give this land to thy seed after thee for an everlasting possession. And now thy two sons Ephraim and Manasseh which were born unto thee in the land of Egypt before I came unto thee into Egypt are mine as Reuben and Simeon they shall be mine and thy issue which thou begettest after them shall be thine and shall be called after the name of their brethren in their inheritance. And as for me, when I came from Padan, Rachel died by me in the land of Canaan in the way, when yet there was but a little way to come unto Ephrah. And I buried her there in the way of Ephrah, the same as Bethlehem. And Israel beheld Joseph's sons and said, Who are these? And Joseph said unto his father, They are my sons whom God hath given me in this place. And he said, Bring me, bring them, I pray thee, unto me, and I will bless them. Now the eyes of Israel were dim for rage that he could not see. And he brought them near unto him, and he kissed them and embraced them. And Israel said unto Joseph, I had not thought to see thy face, and lo, God has showed me also thy seed. And Joseph brought them out from between his knees, and he bowed himself with his face to the earth. And Joseph took them both, Ephraim in his right hand toward Israel's left hand, and Manasseh in his left hand toward Israel's right hand, and brought them near unto him. And Israel stretched out his right hand and laid it upon Ephraim's head, who was the younger, and his left hand upon Manasseh's head, guiding his hands willingly. For Manasseh was the firstborn. And he blessed Joseph and said, God, before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac did walk, the God which fed me all my life long unto this day, the angel which redeemed me from all evil, bless the lads. And let my name be named in them, and the name of my fathers Abraham and Isaac, and let them grow into a multitude in the midst of the earth. 
And when Joseph saw that his father laid his right hand upon the head of Ephraim, it displeased him. And he held up his father's hand to remove it from Ephraim's head unto Manasseh's head. And Joseph said unto his father, Not so, my father, for this is the firstborn. Put thy right hand upon his head. And his father refused and said, I know it, my son, I know it. He also shall become a people, and he also shall be great. But truly his younger brother shall be greater than he, and his seed shall become a multitude of nations. And he blessed them that day, saying, In thee shall Israel bless, saying, God make thee as Ephraim and as Manasseh. And he said, Ephraim before Manasseh. And Israel said unto Joseph, Behold, I die, but God shall be with you. And bring you again unto the land of your fathers. Moreover, I have given to thee one portion above thy brethren, which I took out of the hand of the Amorite with my sword and with my bow. Amen. We'll end the reading there at the end of the chapter. We'll have another hymn of praise this time. And for those who are outside and have a hymn book, it is hymn number 323. Or indeed, again, you can find the lyrics on the Facebook page. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound. That saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. And again, please do remain seated. And remember to sing moderately. Turn again, please, in the living word of God, to the book of Genesis and to the chapter 48. The book of Genesis and the chapter 48. We'll read the first verse again in the chapter. And we'll bow in a word of prayer. And it came to pass after these things that one told Joseph, Behold, thy father is sick. And he, that is Joseph, took with him his two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim. Let's bow in a word of prayer. And if you haven't yet prayed for the Lord to speak to your heart, to bring a word in season, it be challenge or comfort, may you pray even now. Speak, Lord, for thy servant here. Father, we ask thee that thy words are pleased to come, speak to us through thy precious word. We thank you, Father, that it is a living word. But, Father, as I has ordained the means of preaching, Lord, for the good of those that are saved, and, Lord, for the good of those that are lost, I pray that you be pleased to pour out thy blessing upon the preaching even now. Lord, for these reasons, and also for the glory of thy name, Bring to my mind the things I would have me to say. Give me great help tonight. In Jesus' name we ask it all. Amen. Amen. Whenever it comes to loved ones that you may have, whether it be friends, or indeed if you're a parent, children, or a grandparent, grandchildren, you can have good and great desires for them. For example, if it was a parent for children, you may have the desire for your children to have a sound education, quality friendships, Good health, great happiness, and indeed perhaps in time a joyful marriage. Whenever I come into Genesis chapter 48, 
And you know, I read about Jacob, how he is nearing death. He must soon go the way of all the earth. That he's not merely weak, but in chapter 8 he falls sick. And he gets all the nearer to death. And Joseph, hearing of this, he runs down to see his father Jacob. But as he does so, he doesn't go alone. Last time at the bedtime scene, he went alone at the end of chapter 47. But now he takes with him Manasseh and Ephraim. He takes with him those whom he loves. He takes with him his children. Maybe ask the question, why? Why would Joseph take on this occasion his two children, those whom he loves? I want to look this evening at the subject of Joseph's desires for those whom he loves. Joseph's desires for those whom he loves. Sound education is good, quality friendship is great, good health, good happiness, a joyful marriage, all wonderful things. But what is Joseph's desires for those whom he loves? And indeed, whenever you and I compare it to the greater Joseph, Jesus Christ, what are his desires for us whom he loves? And I trust that this subject this evening will be a, a comfort to everyone, and it will also be a challenge. Notice with me, first of all, that Joseph desires that those whom he loves hears of the salvation of God. Joseph desires that Manasseh and Ephraim will hear of the salvation of God. You see, Joseph is one who knows his father Jacob extremely well. He knows his character. He knows his conduct. And I would put it to you this evening that Joseph did not go alone to see his father, but he took his two sons with him because Joseph had a good idea what his father was going to say. And Joseph wants those whom he loves to hear what Jacob had to say. You see, whenever it comes to a person nearing death quite often, whenever they realize that their opportunities of speaking to their loved ones, maybe their children or their friends, will be limited, and perhaps very few, they will want to reminisce on that, aspects of life that have made a big impact on them. Sometimes it will be tragedies that they've gone through. Sometimes it will be trials. Other times it will be triumphs. It will be successes. Sometimes it will be words of advice. And I believe that Joseph, knowing the character of Jacob, Joseph had a good idea what Jacob was going to say. So he wanted his two sons there. You see, whenever Jacob was going to speak, knowing this time was very short, what was it that he said? You look with me, please, at verses 3 to 4. Joseph has arrived with his two sons. You and I read that Jacob declares these words unto Joseph. Verse 3. Jacob said unto Joseph, God Almighty appeared unto me at Luz in the land of Canaan and blessed me and said unto me, Behold, I will make thee fruitful and multiply thee and I will make of thee a multitude of people and will give this land to thy seed after thee for an everlasting possession. Dear friend, this evening in Jacob's remaining moments before death, Jacob could have mentioned a number of trials he had gone through. He could have mentioned about how his father Isaac or indeed, the grandfather, so his father Isaac, had loved his older brother Esau more than him. That was a trial. He could have mentioned about how he had to flee the home that he loved, the joy in that home, there with his mother, Rebecca. He had to flee because his older brother Esau was seeking to kill him. Big impactful situations in life. Jacob could have mentioned another trial. 
about how whenever he arrived in the land which he was going there to Haran, that he was deceived by Laban into marrying firstly a woman whom he did not love. He could have went and talked about how he was made to work and yet not receive right payment. He could have talked about how whenever he did get to marry the woman that he loved, that she died upon the birth of the second child, a death which he never forgot until the end of his life. Jacob could have mentioned many trials that he went through. He also could have mentioned a number of successes, and certainly that the world would consider successes today, a number of triumphs. He could have talked about how, although he firstly was given a wife whom he did not love, yet he did get to marry the one he did love. He got to marry Rebecca. He could have mentioned another success, and that was while his brother Esau hated him, yet he was able to get one up over on his brother and get the birthright, all for simply a bit of stew. That would have been a success in many of the world's eyes today. He could have mentioned that he was successful in deceiving his father's Isaac to receive the family's blessing. That would have been a success in many people's eyes today. He could have mentioned that although he was not paid well by Laban whenever he worked for those 14 years, yet eventually he did get well paid because God undertook for it. He eventually escaped the wrath of Esau. He was blessed with 12 children. He could have mentioned all these blessings and triumphs. But notice with me, whenever Jacob speaks at the very last moments of his life, he does not speak about any of these things. Instead, he speaks about the salvation of God. You see, the salvation of God impacted him more than anything else. In verse 3, Jacob said unto Joseph, God Almighty appeared unto me at Luz in the land of Canaan, and there he blessed me. Some of you will know the story, and perhaps some of you will not, but Way back in Genesis chapter 28, whenever Jacob was forced to flee his home, that home of joy where his mother whom he loved was there, whenever he was forced to flee, that on his journey, he went to put his head down on a stone at night, that stone was his pillow, and as he put his head there all alone, the Lord gave him a dream. The dream was of a ladder, the bottom of it touched the earth, just right there where Jacob was, and the top of it touched heaven where God was. And there was a way of access between where he was to where God is. And descending up and down that ladder were angels, God's servants, to minister to God's people, whatever it was that they needed. Of course, you and I know that there's only one way to glory, one way to God, and that's Jesus Christ. He said, I am the way. There's no other way to go unto the Father but through him. Jacob there in Genesis 28 was given a vision of Christ. And whenever Jacob in that dream and in that vision Whenever he heard God speak from the top of the ladder there in heaven, God did not speak words of vehemence and anger. Instead, God spoke to Jacob words of peace. Now, that would have been surprising for Jacob because Jacob was deceitful. He was a twister. He was a supplanter. He had done things that were wrong. And being guilty, breaking God's law, he should have deserved God's wrath. But yet God spoke words of peace. In Genesis chapter 28, and what you and I have summarized for us in Genesis 48 and the verses 3 and 4, you and I read that while Jacob was running from being killed, God declares that he would give Jacob life. While Jacob was in great danger of dying, yet God declared that he would give Jacob protection. Because God declared to Jacob that where he was going, God would be with him. And that God would make him to be a blessing in this world. God would give him life. And God would protect him. God also declared, if you look at verse 4 of Genesis 48, that God would make him fruitful. We read there where God says, I will make thee fruitful. 
and multiply thee. He went on to declare that he would give Jacob rest. While at the minute he has simply just a stone for his pillow, God declared at the land, in Genesis 28, verse 13, that the land whereon thou liest to thee will I give it unto thy seed. And he also said in Genesis 28, verse 15, a promise. He said, I will forever be with you. Jacob was all alone. His mother wasn't there. His father wasn't there. His friends weren't there. His brother wasn't there. That was a good thing, but he was all alone. And yet God said, I am with thee. And he went on to say, I will not leave thee. What was the most memorable thing in Jacob's life? What was the most significant? What was it whenever he came to the end of his life he wanted to speak about? It wasn't his triumphs. It wasn't his material successes. It wasn't his tragedies. It wasn't his trials. What Jacob wanted to speak about at the very closing moments of his life, that which was most important to him, was the salvation of God in his life. That time when God showed him Christ. God showed him grace. God showed him and gave him the promise, not of death, but of life. Not of worry, but of peace. Not of misery, but of joy. Not of poison, but of fruit. Not of unrest, but of rest. A land, a home. Not of enmity with God, but of friendship with God. That mattered to Jacob more than anything else. Joseph knew the history of Jacob. Joseph, no doubt, whenever he was brought up in the home of Jacob all those years earlier, no doubt would have been told this story again and again of how Jacob, what happened if he was at last and he had the dream and the promise of God's. And Joseph there, for the desire that he has for the two sons whom he loves, is to go and to hear the salvation of God. To hear the grace of God. This situation teaches you and me some very important lessons. Let me just briefly mention them. The first lesson is this. When it comes to the end of our lives, what will matter most is not where we loved by those around us, where we loved by our father or our mother, where we loved by our brother or sister. Whenever it comes to the end of our life, what will matter most is not whether we got one up on other people or not, whether we were successful in business, whether we got the family blessed, whether we had a pleasant marriage. These are good things in and of themselves. But what will matter most is that we ever see salvation in Christ. And did I receive that salvation? These, this is the thing that will matter most. Let me ask you, men, women, and young people, this evening, what are you living for? Are you living for what you can possess in time, or are you living for what you can possess in eternity? The second lesson you and I can learn from this situation is when it comes to the end of our lives, the most important subject a child of God could ever speak about, and speak about to the one whom he loves, is not what they did, or not what they didn't do, but it's simply what God has done. It's the most important subject, what God has done. Jacob could have talked about his triumphs. He could have talked about his trials, but he didn't. He spoke about what God did, not what he did. Whenever it comes to our lives, not simply the end of our lives, but through our lives, the most important subject you and I could ever speak about is indeed the salvation of God, what God has done for us. Let me ask you, whenever it comes to your home, whether you be a child or whether you be a brother or a sister, whether you be a parent, what is it you speak about most? Whenever it comes to husbands and wives, whenever it comes to friendships in school or friendships in the workplace, what is it you speak about most? Your trials, your success, what you did or what's been done to you by God. The most important thing we'd ever speak about is what God has done for us. The third lesson... In this situation, you and I can learn 
is that whenever Joseph brought his two sons to Jacob's side, Joseph did so because he wanted his two sons to spend some time with an old saint of God before it was too late. Jacob wanted, or Joseph wanted the life and witness of this old saint to penetrate, to impact those whom he loves. And you see, you and I can take comfort from that tonight. Jesus Christ has brought you to this service tonight. He's brought you here inside here for those who are outside listening. You may think that you are here of your own will, and certainly in one sense you are, but Jesus Christ by his providence has brought you here. You could not be listening to this service. And even if you're listening in online, God enables you to do that. You could be off somewhere else. You could be away involved in some hobby or away involved in something else. But God in his mercy and grace has enabled you to come and to listen to this message this evening. Why? Because he wants you to hear through his servant of salvation and of grace. God wants you to hear afresh of his promises, just like the promise that he gave to Jacob many years ago, that he offers life and not death, that he offers protection and peace and not fear, that he offers fruit and joy, not poison and misery, that he offers you rest in the promised land, a land which speaks of the new heaven and new earth, according to the book of Hebrews, a land where there's true rest, a land where there's a true inheritance. God wants you to hear of this promise and salvation. He will be forever with you. Other people may leave you, other people may forsake you, other people may hate you, but God will never leave you and he'll never forsake you. He is with you always, even on to the end of the world. That's what God wants you to hear. If you're sealed already this evening, you're a child of God, I wonder do you rejoice in that. Whenever I was younger and I would have attended the services in Cumber Free Presbyterian Church and also then before that in Ars Free Presbyterian Church, whenever I was younger, I used to enjoy coming to the morning meeting because there I would have, in essence, learn new things and been taught. And I used to think that the evening message was just simply, you know, just for the unsaved, just for the lost, just they simply hear again of the gospel. Then I began to realize that both services all about the gospel. Because what is the gospel? It's God-loving sinners. That's the motivation for the child of God. And that's the message for the lost. And I began to realize that there in the evening message, just as much in the morning, I can learn about the love of Christ to me. And I wonder this evening, even if it's not something new, yet are you reminded afresh of God's love to you in Christ and the promises that he gives to you? He will be with you always. He will protect you. He will keep you. Does that thrill your heart? He wants you to hear of this salvation. And for those that are lost this evening, not yet saved, I wonder does it comfort you that Christ wants you to hear this truth. He's brought you here this evening to hear this truth that he wants to save. There is a way to glory, a way to heaven through Christ. He is the ladder. But the funny thing about a ladder is that whenever you're climbing up it, that there's only room for one person climbing up it. You can't have someone beside you. And therefore you must climb it yourself. You must receive Christ's salvation yourself. You must put your weight on Christ and you must climb up. Resting in Christ, learning more of Christ, enjoying more of Christ, drawing closer to God in Christ. But I wonder tonight, will you receive that salvation? What is Joseph's desires for those whom he loves? First of all, it is that they will hear of the salvation of God in the life of this godly saint, Jacob. But notice him, he second of all, Joseph desires that those whom he loves will hear of the will of God. They will hear of the will of God. 
You see, Joseph, at the end of verse 4, could simply have taken his two sons away from the bedside and said, look, they've heard enough. That's all that needs to be heard. But no, he kept them there. And what was it that was declared before these two sons, Ephraim and Manasseh? In verse 5, you look at me there. Jacob declares in verse 5, to Joseph, not realizing that Ephraim and Manasseh are there, but Jacob says to Joseph, and now thy two sons, Ephraim and Manasseh, which were born unto thee in the land of Egypt before I came unto thee in Egypt, are mine. He says, these two sons are mine. As Reuben and Simeon, they shall be mine. Now notice me regarding the will of God that's revealed here. Notice with me a number of truths. First of all, God's will for these two sons is adoption. In verse 5, Jacob tells Joseph that he wants Manasseh and Ephraim to be called his sons, not his grandsons, which they were naturally. No, he wants them to be called his sons. If you look at me, please, at verse 16, Jacob will declare that the angel which redeemed me from all evil bless the lads and let my name be named on them. Manasseh and Ephraim were not by nature the sons of Jacob. By nature, Manasseh and Ephraim were not due to inherit the name of Jacob. They were not due to have a tribe named after them. That privilege and that honor belonged only to Joseph because Joseph was Jacob's true son. But notice, Jacob, in love for Joseph and wanting to bless Joseph, one who's been pure, one who's been faithful all his life, unlike the other sons, Jacob wants to bless Joseph, according to verse 15. He wants to bless Joseph. But in blessing Joseph, he pours the blessing upon those who are united to Joseph. And he adopts them as his own children. In doing so, Jacob gives Manasseh and Ephraim two things. He gives them great honor. Because that now they are a son of Jacob. They will have a tribe after their own name. He blesses them with great honor, but he also blesses them with great inheritance. They now have the land of Canaan, a possession that will be uniquely theirs. They will personally possess and own. This is the first time in Scripture and I ever read of the subject of adoption. And whenever you think about that, is it not a wonderful picture of the gospel? You see, those who are saved in Christ and put their faith in Christ... We read in Scripture that they are adopted into the family in the fold of God. Now God puts his name on them. And God blesses them. Not because they're worthy of anything in and of themselves. No, but God wants to love Christ. She was loved to Christ for his faithfulness, his purity, his goodness. And always doing the will of the Father. And in blessing Christ, he blesses those who are not naturally the children of God. You see, Christ alone is God's son. And he's God's pure son. But you and I can be blessed with two things. You and I can be blessed with the honor of being called a child of God because of Christ. And you, can, you and I can be blessed with a wonderful inheritance, being joint heirs with Christ in the promised land of the new heaven and the new earth. And maybe you're sitting there and you say, well, I don't deserve such. I don't deserve such a wonderful honor a wonderful blessing. I remember hearing about two ministers walking down the road. And one minister turned around and said, as people would have walked past, you know, if only those people who walked past knew exactly that we were son of the king. You know, they'd show respect to us. And you may think, well, I don't deserve to be given the title of son of a king or a son of, or a child of God. 
Well, Manasseh and Ephraim didn't deserve to be given this title. But they were because of Joseph. Didn't deserve to be given a land, a portion of the land in the promised land. They didn't deserve that. But they were given it. Why? Because of Joseph. His life, his work, what he did. And that alone. And praise God, so it is in the gospel. You and I can be honored and have the title of a child of God and have a unique portion in that land, the promised land of glory itself for all eternity to dwell with God and he to dwell with us all because of Christ. And again, if you're lost this evening, be comforted with that. You can be saved because of Christ. No matter what you have done, no matter who you are, you can be saved because of Christ. And for us who are saved, rejoice in that. Rejoice in it. You're called a child of God. You may be called many things on this earth, some of them not pleasant. The reality is that you're saved and you're united to Christ, you're a child of God. You're a child of God. I remember talking with a colleague of mine and speaking with him, he was talking just about how Christians will view themselves and how often we view ourselves as sinners and, and as failures. And in many senses, of course, we are. We fall in word, thought, and deed every day. But in the conversation, he went on to highlight how many times Scripture betrays us as saints and as children of God. And that's the terms that it uses. And he went on to say that in his own life it has a huge impact on him, how he identifies himself. Whenever he thinks of himself, does he just think of himself as a sinner, saved by grace? That makes him thankful to God. But he sees himself as a child of God, as a saint, one called to be set apart unto God, to be holy. And he says that changes his perspective. Because whenever it comes to using of his time, he remembers, I'm a child of God. Whenever it comes to the words that he speaks, he remembers, I'm a child of God. I'm a child of the King. Whenever it comes to discouragement, whenever he feels that he's not loved, whenever he feels that God's not present, he remembers, I'm a child of the King. I'm a child of God. And how that changes his perspective, how it encourages him, how it thrills his heart, how it lifts him up, I'm a child of God. Remember that you're saved, united to Christ, you're a child of God. See, what is the will of God? For these two sons, it is they're adopted to become sons of Jacob. What is God's will for us is that we are adopted, united in Christ, and become the children of God. Notice with me that God's will for Manasseh and Ephraim was not simply adoption, but it was also consecration. Matthew Henry, the great Bible commentator, spoke in this passage and in these verses, particularly verse 5, and he said, the aged, dying patriarch, speaking of Jacob, teaches these young persons, Manasseh and Ephraim, not to look upon Egypt as their home, nor to incorporate themselves with the Egyptians, but to take their lot with the people of God. Whenever Jacob declares through God this promise, this prophecy that they were to be named children of Jacob and to have their own portion in the land that was promised, Jacob was telling them that they were never to remain in Egypt, but they were to go to Canaan. That's where their inheritance was. You see, these two boys, Manasseh, from all they ever knew was Egypt. It's all that ever lived. They were born there. They, were, they grew up there. Riches, wealth, political power, that's all they ever knew. But yet Joseph brings these two sons to hear the words of Jacob and keeps them there because Jake, Joseph wants them to hear that the will of God is that they are consecrated unto God. That their home is not Egypt, but it is the land of promise. That they have an inheritance, and that inheritance is not in Egypt, but it is in the land of promise. 
And therefore, they were to prepare themselves for that, and they were to live for that. And dear friend, this evening, Jesus Christ, the greater Joseph, wants you and I to hear of God's will this evening. God does not only want to save us from death, he not only wants to adopt us as his children, but he wants us who are saved to realize that our citizenship is in heaven, according to the book of Ephesians. According to Peter, you and I are just simply passing through. We're pilgrims on our way to glory. That's where our inheritance is. That's where our home is. That's what we should live for. That's what we should prepare for. That's what we should work for, for glory. Not for the things of this earth. We can have them, we can enjoy them. But in all things, we're to use all for the glory of God and to live for eternity. Consecration. Adoption. But also the will of God that Joseph wanted these two sons to hear, those whom he loved, was submission. In verse 6, you look with me there. Joseph keeps his sons in to continue here what Jacob has to say. And there, verse 6, Jacob declares to Joseph, And thy issue, which thou begettest after them, that is after Manasseh and Ephraim, shall be thine. And she be called after the name of their brethren in the inheritance, in their inheritance. You see, while Manasseh and Ephraim would be called the sons of Jacob, yet the brothers of Manasseh and Ephraim, any sisters or any other children that were to follow after them, they were not to be called the sons of Jacob. They were not to be given positions of leadership. They were not to have a tribe named after them whenever it came to the promised land. Oh, yes, they were to have an inheritance of the promised land, but it was within that of Manasseh and Ephraim. And you see here, God makes a distinction. For one group, they'll be leaders. And they'll have responsibility, and they'll have position, and have popularity, and have fame, and prestige. But for others, no. Well, the inheritance is still there. It's still there for them, but it's different. And you see, I don't know if Manasseh or Ephraim wanted the position. I don't know if they wanted the responsibility. Some of the people don't want such things today. But yet Manasseh and Ephraim were to submit to the will of God. And so it is for you and I. God may want some to be leaders, but he will also want some not to be. God may want some to be popular, but he also may want some not to be popular or not to be well known. But I wonder this evening, are you and I willing to submit to whatever God has for us? One last aspect of the will of God that Joseph wanted his two sons to hear, and that was of provision. If you look at me there at verse 7 of Genesis 48, Jacob recounts an aspect of his life, not simply his time at Luz, not merely whenever he saw Christ there and, and God's salvation in Christ, there at the dream. But in verse 7, Jacob says, And as for me, when I came from Padan, Rachel, that was his wife, died by me in the land of Canaan in the way, when yet there was but a little way to come unto Ephrath. And I buried her there in the way of Ephrath, the same as Bethlehem. You may say, but here, hold on a minute. Now Jacob was turning from the salvation of God to a tragedy in his life. And certainly the death of his beloved wife was a tragedy. But notice something. Jacob doesn't simply say that his wife died. He goes on to talk about where she died and puts more emphasis on where she died. And indeed he's going to explain the name of Ephrath and how it's now called Bethlehem. Why? Because the word Bethlehem means house of bread, house of provision. What does Jacob want Joseph to hear? And indeed, what does Joseph want those whom he has brought with him to hear? That even though there may be difficulties in life, differences, yes, in what God calls us to, but while there may be difficulties, God will provide. God will provide. There's provision. I don't know what difficulty a child of God may be going through this evening, but I want to tell you there's provision for you. 
there's strength for you. And if you're lost this evening, you fear coming to the Lord because you feel you'll not be able to get through things, I want to tell you God is there to provide for you. Joe's desires that those whom he loves will hear of the salvation of God. Joe's desires that those whom he loves will hear of the will of God. But notice with me quickly, Joe's desires that those whom he loves will hear of the grace of God. You look at me there at verse 8. You and I will read that Israel, while he had not realized that it was just only Joseph there, he now sees two other people. Israel beheld Joseph's sons and said, Who are these? And Joseph said unto his father, They are my sons, whom God hath given me in this place. Now notice the way Joseph answered that question. That Jacob asked him, Who are these? Joseph could have answered that in many ways. He could have said, Well, these are just my children. These are my kids. These are my little ones. He could have answered it like that. He could have said, Well, they're my wife's children. He could have answered it that way, but he didn't. He says, They are my sons, whom God hath given me. You see, what was it that made Manasseh and Ephraim different from all the children in Egypt? What made them special to receive the blessing of God, the honor of God, the inheritance of God? What made them special? It was the fact that they were united to Christ, yes, but what united them to Christ? It was God's. God gave Manasseh and Ephraim to Joseph. God gave it. You see, if you're a seer, what makes you different from all the millions in this world that are tragically on the way to hell? What makes you different? What is it that gives you the right to have, indeed, eternal life and to have the honor of being called a child of God? What gives you, what makes you different? Oh, yes, you're united to Christ. Through faith, you believed in Christ. But how did that happen? God gave you to Christ. God gave you to Christ. See, Manasseh and Ephraim could have got all puffed up, you know, after hearing this. Here, here, here. You can just imagine Manasseh. You know, Ephraim, great, look at this. We're getting honored above any other siblings we'll ever get. We're going to get honored here. Oh, it must be because there's something good in us. You know, Jacob sees some great talent in us. No. It's only by the grace of God. Joseph said very clearly, these are my sons whom God hath given me. You see, whenever it comes to salvation, you and I were chosen before the foundations of this world. God the Father chose to give you and I who are saved to Christ, to give us to him. He would come to this earth, he would live for us, he would go to the cross and shed his blood for us, he would rise again to pray for us. And it's because of God giving us to Christ that you and I are able to receive these blessings. It's entirely of the grace of God. I wonder, will you sing tonight of your sea of amazing grace? I sweep the sound that sea of the wretch like me. It's all of grace. Every blessing you and I have, every moment that we live, it's grace. The last point I want to mention this evening is one final desire that Joseph has for those whom he loves. Joseph desires that those whom he loves will see the salvation of God and see the, the, the salvation and the grace of God. But notice with me, Joe desires that those of me loves will see the love of God. You look at me, please, at verse 9 and following. Joe said unto his father, They are my sons, whom God hath given me in this place. And he that is Jacob said, Bring them, I pray thee, unto me, and I will bless them. Joseph knows the character of his father. Joseph knows the character of this old saint. Joseph knows his character. He knows what he's like. And although Joseph has brought his two sons along and his two sons have heard of the salvation of God and the grace of God and the will of God and all these wonderful things, Joseph keeps them there. Why? Because Joseph wants Manasseh and Ephraim to see 
for the love of God. That as they follow the will that God has for them to be saved, to be adopted, to have their own responsibility, that God will ever welcome them. And God's people will ever welcome them. Because Jacob hearing it, he said, bring them, I pray thee unto me. There's a welcome there. There was a blessing there. Because in verses 11 to 16 and following, you know, I read about Jacob then, he wants to bless them. And he gets his hands out. And he goes to put his hands upon the children because he wants to bless them. Now, whenever you and I look at the verses, you and I will see that it was a sure blessing. If you look at verse 15, we read that he blessed Joseph, that is, Jacob blessed Joseph and said, God, before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac did walk, the God who was faithful to them, the God who saved them, the God who upheld them, the God who kept them, this sure blessing, the God who took them to glory, the God is the one who will take these to glory. It's a sure blessing. The one, the God before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac did walk, the God which fed me all my life long on to this day. The God always looked after me. It's interesting, in Hebrews chapter 11, last time you and I ever read of Jacob, in that book you and I will see that Jacob, he died, and he died and he bowed his head, worshipping God upon his staff. And I've been told that the ancient shepherds, what they often did with their staffs was that whenever they came through a trial or difficulty, they would have taken something and put a, a big mark in the stick. And they came through another difficulty or trial. They took another, maybe a knife, and they made another mark on the stick. And their staff, whenever it came to the end of Jacob's life, and there he was in that bed, he leaned upon his staff, and there he saw all of the times where God delivered him and helped him. And he bowed his head, worshipping God. God was faithful to him. You see, this is a sure blessing. I want to bless these children. I welcome them, but I want to bless them. It's a sure blessing. It's a wonderful blessing. Because, you see, Jacob was the one who received not merely glory, but he was kept in life and he was used of God. And you see, you and I will read these verses about how 19 and 20, that God would take these young boys up and make them to be a great blessing, to make them to be fruitful, to make them to be great, to make them to multiply. A wonderful blessing. Whenever God saves a person, he wants to use them. Bless them, but bless them in using them. Because you and I will be fruitful, multiplying in the fruit of the Spirit, becoming more like Christ, overcoming sin. But he uses us as a witness that we in essence and our witness will multiply. Other people seeing Christ will come to know Christ, whether we know it or not. And that you and I therefore multiply for the glory of God. Now it was an unexpected blessing because Jacob did bless the younger son more than the older son. That was of God. And sometimes in life there will be some who are going to be used more than others. And you and I must submit to that. Some will be used more than others. But notice both were blessed greatly. Any blessing you and I receive is great of God. You and I simply say, Lord, here am I. Thank you for Christ. Use me as you want to use me. But make me fruitful. And make me to multiply for thy glory. Thy glory alone. What was Joseph's desires? Some people with their, as parents had desires for their children for sound education, a joyful marriage, and 
all these wonderful friendships. Good. But Joseph's greatest desire was that his sons would hear, those whom he loved would hear, the salvation of God, and the will of God, and the grace of God. That's what Christ wants you to hear tonight. What will you do with it? Will you believe it? Will you thank God in light of it? Let's just buy in a word of prayer. Our gracious God and our Father in heaven, I want to thank you that Christ is one who loves us. I want to thank you that Christ is the one Lord who has drawn us here this evening, whether we be inside or outside this building, or whether some are listening at home. Father, I pray that you would be pleased to have a word in season to every one of us. Show us, Lord, that this is the word that thou dost want us to hear. Of thy salvation, the lost may have hope, that they may run to Christ tonight. O oh, Father, may it be said that such and such a one was born here in public worship for thy glory alone. O oh, Father, I do pray that we here see it will be comforted. For Lord, not merely did you save and adopt what wonderful privileges, but Father, you kept. You were faithful to Jacob and you'll be faithful to us. Father, I just cry that every one of us will simply surrender our lives all to thee. Cast her all at thy feet even tonight and say, Lord, for all of your love to me, take me, use me, make me be like Christ. Whatever thy will is, Lord, let it be done. Whether it be great or whether it be not, use me for Christ. In Jesus' name we ask all these things. Lord, let's pray you'll take us to your homes in safety. Be with every one of us this incoming week. And will prepare us in thy will. If thou dost tarry and bless us in thy word. In Jesus' name we pray it. Amen.